We're sticking with the most well-known sermon of Jesus this morning. We're sticking with his Sermon on the Mount. Last Sunday, and if you were here, you might recall, last Sunday we heard his surprising and, frankly, his stunning list of blessings for the afflicted of the world. You remember that with the Beatitudes. Jesus proclaimed the good news that his listeners were among those graciously blessed by God. In the Beatitudes, he's speaking in very general terms. Blessed is anyone who is poor in spirit. Blessed is anyone who is meek. Blessed is anyone who mourns and who is a peacemaker and who is merciful and who is pure in heart. But here in these verses, he shifts and he looks his audience directly in the eye and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A quick word on each. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Of course, we know that salt is a highly versatile element, one with many different functions. Matthew Meyer Bolton reminds us that in the ancient world, salt was a prized preservative. But that function might be all but forgotten in most of the industrialized world, where refrigeration now rules. Likewise, salt was also part of the sacrificial ritual. If you look at Leviticus chapter 2, you'll see it describes and gives details about grain offerings that were to be offered up unto the Lord. Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 brings salt into the mix You shall not omit from your grain offerings the salt of the covenant with your God. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. So salt has a a preservative function, and here we see now that it has a liturgical function. And of course, we all know its favorite function, our favorite function, the culinary function of salt. Salt, as we know, has a major role in enhancing the taste, the flavor of food. Salt even brings out other flavors of food in a dish. A pinch of salt can bring a dish's flavors alive, making our taste buds dance. But you know, for us, being the salt the earth may or may not be a prestigious thing. Bolton correctly notes that we live in a world full of salt shakers on virtually every dining room table. So maybe salt is just really easy to overlook or take for granted or just consider it to be, oh, pretty humdrum. Not too many of us get too excited about salt anymore. Yet human history has long been shaped by salt, from trade routes to governmental monopolies to popular protests, including Gandhi's salt march. Even our everyday vocabulary includes traces of the impact salt has had on the world. The word salary, for instance, derives from a Latin term for a soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. I remember when I was in seminary, as a seminary student doing my field education internship, this passage came up in one of the lessons I was leading with the high school class. I was trying to explain to them how, as salt of the earth, we are called to do 
to do this and, and to do that, and how all of this is a good thing, how as Christians we are sent out to liberally sprinkle our saltiness and to season the earth with salt. I was teaching this to a, a high school class, and, and, and one of the students objected. said, in fact, too much salt can be a bad thing. And he's right. He pointed out that too much salt in our diets can lead to hypertension, to heart attacks, to strokes, and more. He pointed out that salt can be used, in fact, to kill living things, like slugs, some vegetation. He's not wrong. He pointed out that too much salt in the meal can really make it taste really bad. Perhaps then we should be the pepper of the earth. Of course, that would just make people sneeze when they got too much of us. But Jesus says that we are to be the salt of the earth. We are salt. So if we can imagine how salt is properly used, if we use salt the right way, I'm not talking about sprinkling it on slugs, but if we use it the right way, in the right context, just the right amount, at the right time, in the right way, salt can work its magic and enliven and enhance and bring out the best in whatever it is that it touches. Bolton says this is what we can and must do as Christians. He writes, we should bring our own flavor to the mix, of course, spicing things up here and there. And then just as much, we should work to enhance other flavors and enliven other tastes, making the world more savory, more delicious, more beautiful. If we do not, then what good are we? Then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The Bible, of course, is full of light imagery. One of our favorite verses, one of my favorite verses that we hear time and again around Christmas time is from John's Gospel. When John wrote, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Light abounds in the pages of our holy book. Let there be light. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jesus himself even said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light, it's all around us as people of faith, illuminating our way and illuminating our hearts. But I wonder if, like salt, that since light is a fairly simple thing that seems to be all around us most of the time, I wonder then if we begin to take it for granted. But we know when it's not here, we definitely notice its absence. We know what it's like to try to find our way in the darkness. We trip, we stumble, we stub our toes, we run into things that normally we'd be able to avoid. 
And so we've got light. We count it as a blessing. We have incandescent light. We have LED light. We have candle light. We have sunlight. We even have salt lamps that give off light. That may be the very best representation of this passage, a salt lamp. Of course, with light, its whole identity and its whole purpose is the same. Its identity and its purpose is the same. To shine, to illumine, and to give off light. Our world literally revolves around a giant light. But you know, even a little light, say from, say, a candle, can light up a room, maybe even a landscape. I read this week that a candle can be visible from 1.6 miles away. Yes, a light, big or small, can make a tremendous difference. And Jesus instructs us not to cover or to hide that light. Rather, we are to let it shine. Think about how ridiculous it is. Think about how absurd it is to have a lamp and to then cover it up. But also think about how dangerous it is to cover a lamp. As a father of three small children, that's one of my worries. Covering up a lamp can be dangerous. It can burn your house down. So then think how ridiculous, think how dangerous it is for our communities when Christians do not use their God-given gifts. And here Jesus is saying that we're made for shining, we're made for illuminating, for giving light to all corners of the world, and he warns us against covering up these gifts. Of course, one of the critical functions of light is lifting the veil of darkness. I don't have to tell you that our world is full of darkness. This day and age of ours is perhaps unlike any other, not in that we have more darkness, but in that this darkness is now being exposed. Darkness such as human trafficking, racism, and sexism, and homophobia, and xenophobia, and abuses of power in the workforce, rape, sexual abuse, are no longer quickly swept under the rug and ignored. These dark ills are being brought to light, and God, please help us as we continue to illumine and bring attention to these sins and others. And of course, one of the main calls upon our lives as disciples of Jesus is to shine his love into the world. You see, God made us to shine and to reflect the divine love. Shine to one another. Because you never know the person walking next to you today may just be a weary traveler along the road of life who could use a little bit of light to help guide them home. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. But in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, do you notice that the audience of Jesus has already been told that they're blessed? They've already been told that that they're blessed. Now they're being told how to live as salt 
and as light. You notice it's not live this way and then you will be blessed. It's you are blessed, therefore you live this way. It's not do these good works and you will receive a blessing. Actually, the reverse is true. You are blessed. You are made to be a blessing. So go out and live out your identity by doing these good works. One commentator noted that Jesus is not giving his listeners a new role to play here. Rather, he's naming who they already are. You see, we don't have to work to become salt, to become light. We're not on our way to becoming salt and light. We're not on a path that leads us to salt and that leads us to light. Nor does Jesus say that we should become salt and that we should become light. And he does not say that we will become these things as if to suggest that one fine day it's all just going to happen. No, his words to his listeners and to us Declare that you are salt and that you are light. And as a child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's who we already are. Already right now. It's how God has made you and us. You are salt. So go and flavor the earth and enhance its goodness. You are light. So go illumine and shine in the dark places, giving off a glow of hope and a glow of peace. I love how Reverend Christine Chikoyan sums this up. She writes, Our effectiveness as disciples does not depend on our success according to the world's standards. Moreover, if we're only working to have the most prominent, the most well-attended, the most powerful congregation, then we are working towards the wrong goal. The point is not to give glory to ourselves, but to give glory to God. Doing that requires nothing more than the humility of being who we really are, salt and light. She continues... If we fail to be true to God's purpose for us, then what good are we to the world? If we bear the name of Christ but have lost our true essence as salt, then people stop seeing us as useful for anything, and Christ's good name is squandered. If we say that we are followers of Jesus but have hidden Christ's light under buildings and in bureaucracies and in budgets, then we have robbed the world of God's good gift. Because the truth is, salt and light may not be the most glamorous elements in the universe, but they are worth so much more than silver and gold because they are life-giving and they are useful for the well-being of the world. The good news is that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. It's who you are. It's who you're supposed to be for the sake of the world, for the bringing forth of the kingdom of God. Amen.